Countdown. We're live. Or, or, we're, we're live, Rich. Yeah, people are coming in. Hi, Daniel. Hey. How's life in Sweden? The One of the few unquarantined countries, I think. Yeah, uh, I, it's the only one that I'm aware of. Uh, I, I'm quarantined, though, but but for many others uh, in Sweden, that's not the case. So, like, restaurants are open, uh, shops are open, uh, and it's about 50% of normal, I would say. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a different uh, lifestyle than what many other uh, places around the world are experiencing yeah, right now. Probably almost everyone listening to this. <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah. But I guess this is this is the cool thing, right? Because you guys are are inventing a new show on the fly, and people are actually tuning in and watching. And you know, the big question is, would they have if things would have been different? And the answer, well, of course, if we have great content, people are going to come regardless of the weather, right? (laughs) Stay in on a Saturday, you know, why go outside? I think if we had you, Daniel, they would have come anytime, any place. But um, oh, I don't. I don't think right. quarantine Jesus. hurts. That's like a great quarter comment right there. Yeah, <laughs> we did realize our amazing content creation capabilities. Yeah, uh, I, I, you're killing it on the background thing. Are you guys also using green screens as Rich is doing? Yeah, I'm not. Maybe I should order one. We're just happy that Brandon actually got a new camera because before he had that kind of Obi Wan Kenobi look. So look, at him. he looks more torn. He looks better than I do now. He looks more. I need to lay out in the sun a little bit more. So I know I got a little tan this weekend. So let's get started. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. I'm Rich Greenfield. For Lightshed Partners, I'm joined by Brandon Ross and Walt Pisick, and we couldn't be more excited to have Daniel Eck, founder and CEO of Spotify. Uh, you know, I think. First of all, I've wanted to interview you for a long time. Uh, you know, we met, you know, wee hours of the morning, probably 2 or 3 a.m. in Monaco, November 9th, 2007. Yep. And you literally said that day that you had a plan to fix the music industry's problems. And the next morning, I became one of Spotify's earliest users. I've been a user ever since. So I think I've got some of the longest tenure in the world in being a Spotify user. Yep. But but the reason I go back to that point in time is that you knew then, or you believed back in 2007, that access would trump ownership. And that that was the, the, the key to the music industry's problems was shifting to an access model. When even Steve Jobs at Apple was steadfast a believer that people wanted to own music. So I, I guess, how did you figure it out? Like, what was the inspiration that access was the right model to go? I mean, this was even before Netflix got to the point of believing that you had to have access to content versus, you know, buying DVDs at, at that point. So like, just walk us through, like, how did you get there in 2007? Well, the genesis really. Um, so we started off with this conversation about the quarantine life in Sweden. And uh, this takes us back to Sweden again, uh, because what was pretty unique at the time was, uh, you know, I, 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 by the way, don't think that there's a coincidence. When you look at the great computing companies, I say computing about Microsoft and Apple, et cetera, I don't think that there's a coincidence that if you look at Steve Jobs and Gates, et cetera, they were all born roughly around like one or two years apart from each other. So it's a matter of time when they were uh, at a certain age that they became early adopters of a new technology, in, in their case, uh, computers. And, um, and uh, for me, um, that was the case with the internet. So I remember in 1998, I believe, I had my first fiber optic uh, internet connection. And I had 10 megabits uh, in both direction in 1998. Uh, that's 22 years ago. And so what do you do when you're an early teenager? In this case, I was 15. Um, and you had all this bandwidth. Um, at that time, there was this app called Napster. And what I used to do was I was looking at these um, people that had fast connections and I was downloading all the music that I could from all of those people and listening to it. And that was my music education. I learned about Metallica. I learned about all these other bands, Led Zeppelin, King Crimson, like got educated in rock rock music, rap music, just on, on the basis of being able to download that music. I couldn't afford it. 
And then when you fast forward to the inception of Spotify, it was just so obvious to me that piracy, in a way, uh, was a much better consumer experience than, than buying a record, but it was obviously much worse for the music industry. So uh, for me, I think the question, and th- remember at this time, this is still when RIAA was suing individual users for pirating music, et cetera. I, I didn't think you could put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, so I thought the answer had to be build a better experience than piracy. And um, I am a person that uh, I start product problems by trying to envision what the end goal is. And I try to put a feeling towards it. So I said, what if you could have, uh, what if it could feel like you had all the world's music on your hard drive? Shouldn't that be a better experience than piracy? And, um, you know, uh, people said, okay, well, I guess so, but how would you do it? And then uh, you get into the technical bits and pieces of it. And then uh, you start realizing latency matters and all these other things of concepts of just, it needs to feel uh, immediate. And two years later um, was Spotify. And so the the point point of the story was, um, for me, it was kind of obvious because I, I 10 years prior, lived with access to music. Uh, it wasn't the same business model. It certainly wasn't streaming, but it was access. And uh, I just realized uh, at that time that that was a much better experience than the other experience. So if you could create a legal version of that, that would probably be a lot more popular than uh, what uh, other things were out there. And it really starts as simple as that. Didn't know anything about the music industry. Didn't know anything about uh, that you needed licensing or how hard it would be to get licenses or what uh, hurdles you needed to jump through. Um, so that later on became a crash course for me in, in licensing uh, 101, uh, but it didn't start out that way. So when you think about this, the, the kind of this path that you're on, you know, I, I still remember when you got to 1 million subscribers, I think it was before you even got into the US, you hit that 1 million mark over in Europe. And, you know, you've talked on a couple of, um, I think you did a podcast sometime late last year, and you, you'd sort of talked to the fact that kind of you think that in success, you could be a billion users, um, kind of a, a third of the people on the planet was sort of the way you framed it. And maybe you can explain it better. But Getting from where you are today with 130 million subscribers, which is nothing to sneeze at, of course, but getting to a billion, how do you get there? I mean, you know, it's not like you're, we don't see exponential growth out of Spotify on a quarterly basis. Mm-hmm. What makes you go from, I mean, I could see how you go from 130 to 200, 300, but a billion just seems like a massive uh, opportunity. How do you get there and, and what needs to happen for that to be the case? Well, I'm a firm believer, first and foremost, of compounding growth. So if you look at Spotify, um, we've pretty much always been growing um, somewhere in the range of 25 to call it 45%. We've never really grown faster than that. Uh, But if you compound that over a number of years, you end up getting to pretty large numbers. And so to the extent that we're able to keep uh, a 25% growth rate and keep on doing that year on year, we, we have that opportunity in a not too di- uh, distant future. Now, what uh, what then are the sort of knobs that we have to turn in order to keep the 25% growth rate is a whole other question. In it, uh, obviously, um, you're dealing with a lot of different uh, nuances. One of them would be you're, you're starting to penetrate much of the rest of the world where the infrastructure that made Spotify to what it is may not exist to the same extent. So people may not have credit cards as, a, as an example. Uh, this is part of the reason why we're excited about Libra. But um, on top of that, you're dealing with things like, um, you know, um, in Indonesia, we're currently um, uh, experimenting with prepaid uh, packages instead of just pure subscriptions. We're uh, collecting money uh, via tuk-tuks that are driving around. Like there's there's a ton of innovation that needs to come and there's a ton of packaging that needs to uh, be handled that were probably regionally specific that needs to happen. And then um, we're likely also going to have to super serve segments on the higher end. Um, there's a lot of talk, for instance, in lossless. Is that a thing? Is that not a thing? I think over time, it obviously will be uh, on the higher end. So we need to develop more products and more plants. Uh, you've seen us in the past go from one size fits all to 
family plants and students. Uh, and now we have a plan called Duo that's doing incredibly well, which is for, uh, you can imagine for couples really uh, without the family needs. Um, that's been a big growth driver uh, over the past six months since we started experimenting with it. And so um, I, I just think it's about improvement on product and packaging um, that's going to drive the overall adoption into the funnel. But we shouldn't also forget, we talk a lot about subscription as in paid subscription. But when I look at the market, I think um, ad supported will also play a very important role uh, in getting to that billion plus uh, user story as well, which is also part of the reason why I've been very optimistic about the progress we're making in just the overall MEU growth as well. And one of the things that seems to transcend a lot of that is the consumer adoption curve. Whether you look at it on a household basis, 20 to 60, or on a per user basis, 30 to 80. I, mean, I remember years ago talking to executives from Brazilian wireless companies saying like, oh, I don't think we're ever going to top 10% penetration. They hit that 30, bam, it hit 80. So I'm just curious, like, have you seen this consumer adoption curve hit in certain markets? And, and again, why wouldn't, you know, you mentioned price and ads, but they're charging subscription fees, albeit lower in Brazil and India and places sure. like that. But are you seeing those same type of trends in, in certain markets? And then, because I, would, I would think mean that once you hit two, 300 million, then growth should really kick in for you guys. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, um, you know, I, I think a good case in point is look at the Nordics for us, which is the most mature uh, markets where we have a penetration where it's over half of the population now. They're using Spotify and I can't remember what the number is, but it's a decent chunk of that that's also paying subscribers in one shape uh, or another. So we're, we're really dealing with uh, what we believe over time, this will be a... Uh, mass uh, opportunity of you know, call it 75 to 80% of the population in these countries will be member of a streaming service of some kind. Uh, and I say some kind being, you know, all the way through uh, ad supported up the way to um, high fidelity audio services that are priced at a premium from what we're seeing today. So what is that mix between, do you think in, in getting to 80 that mix do you think is going to be between ad supported versus just getting people to, to pay a subscription? Again, it could be lower in some of these markets. Yeah, I, I really don't know. As you said, I think that it will be widely different in different markets. In some markets you may expect, for instance, you could expect to let them take that as an example to be ad supported. I remember I used to think uh, predominantly that would be the case because you'd have, um, you know, low credit card penetration, lots of other infrastructure issues. And yet, uh, even on the subscription side today, it's a massive growth driver for Spotify. And, um, you know, so I've been wrong about those predictions before. I, I will say one point, though, which is we completely, because it hasn't been a big growth driver for the music industry up until this point, discount ad, ad supported. Um, but the math on ad supported is that it is, is very compelling. And uh, it's very compelling if you look at it from the radio perspective. If you think about what we're doing is actually audio uh, on the internet. But is it compelling outside of the US though? I mean, obviously in the US, there's a big terrestrial ad market with lots of dollars, 15, 16 billion dollars still being yeah. spent on. It, does it work outside the US in the same way? Well, it, it, it's it's tricky to measure. Uh, there's lots of different data points about how how large the global uh, radio industry is from an ad-supported perspective. Um, but you would have it anywhere between, call it, forty to sixty billion. Um, so it's still rel relatively uh, of a large size. Certainly, when you consider now the entire global music industry. Um, so you know we're still very bullish about that. Will all of those dollars go to um, audio ads, or will that just go on general internet ads? It's really hard to say. But um, I, I suspect that as you're adding more measurability, uh, more targeting, etc., you'll find that this is a great way to reach consumers. 
Uh, and it's unique timing to reach these consumers too, because again, you know, Spotify is for commuters. So if you're driving your car, there won't be, uh, you know, Facebook and, and Google aren't the best um, optimized to reaching those consumers in those times. And that will be an important thing. And sim- similarly, if you're at the gym, I, um, it, hopefully you won't be standing there watching YouTube videos. You'll actually work out. And that's an amazing opportunity as well uh, from an ad supported perspective. Was there a trigger that made you realize ad supported was going to be much more important? Um, in all honesty, uh, when we started uh, Spotify, we thought the ad supported part would be a lot larger than the subscription part. Uh, it's the funny thing how how these um, platforms play out sometimes. I, I know that I'm supposed to say that there was this arc genius and I had everything figured out real already from the get go, but that wasn't the case. I was very much inspired by, remember I was like 22, 23 at the time when I started Spotify. So I was very much uh, inspired by these early successes in particular Google um, and saw what they did on the ad- advertising side and figured advertising needed to be the key. And as a backup, uh, because the music industry said, well, what about if people want to pay for the content? And I said, well, sure. Okay, well, we'll add a payment figure, not expecting it to be a, a big source of uh, potential income. And, and obviously, that turned out to be the lucky strike and, and it turned out to be the much more dominant uh, revenue source for us. So I've, I've actually always been bullish on the ad supported part. Uh, I realized it's not the business uh, right now, uh, the subscription part is way more important, but I suspect every media company will be dual stream in the future. I don't think uh, that we're going to look at the world and say, oh, uh, look, by the way, here's this one media company and it's only ad supported, or here's this one media company is only paid for. Just like in traditional media, we didn't see, it started off as one revenue stream, but in the end, um, we saw these this mix, this hybrid of, um, you know, affiliate fees combined with advertising income being the real thing. We may have to get Reed Hastings on the podcast or or on Light Shed Live to respond to that at some point. We've had this debate, he and I, uh, many, many times. Um, And, uh, you know, again, I think he mostly argues it from a sort of principle standpoint that they can be successful anyway without doing it. Um, and, and, you know, uh, clearly they are, uh, so I'm not going to dispute that, but it doesn't mean that there couldn't be another way to do it that could also be very successful. A pivot that you made was to, to move your platform beyond music uh, to sp- spoken word content, specifically podcasts. Um, for us, until Serial came along, I, I think we and the rest of the world kind of ignored podcasts. What made the light bulb go off for you that your platform needed to be more than music and specifically to embrace podcasts? Well, uh, for a long time, we've been pursuing various uh, degrees of uh, uh, just trying to differentiating our platform uh, vis-a-vis the competitive set. Um, And so in the early innings of Spotify, we did that mostly through innovating on our our product experience and making that better. Uh, we then added, of course, uh, better recommendations. We added all of those different things. But it, it's always been clear, like I, I look at the arc of companies and I try to think about how can you improve the capabilities that you're building as a company, the skills you're bringing to the table. And if you're you go, if you have many different capabilities that you're good at uh, and that you can innovate on, uh, you'll be a much better company. And so for us to do that in content as well as in product, uh, is the ultimate way of improving the product experience. And so earlier than podcasting, we we toyed around with video. Uh, we tried that for a while. We then uh, tried podcasting for a while just to see if it would stick. Um, and it, it was actually in Germany uh, on one of my market trips going there that I realized uh, without really um, even trying, uh, we had become the... I believe the biggest audio service uh, in Germany, because what happened in Germany specifically is that uh, a, ro- a lot of the record companies actually have audiobook rights as well. And so what we were very seeing, very different was, than the rest of the world. 
Yeah, very different than the rest of the world. Uh, but in Germany, they acquired a lot of the audio rights. And as streaming was growing, they were putting them on Spotify too, because that was growing their overall revenue. And so uh, we were seeing like Hardy Boys being incredibly successful at night times. We couldn't figure out what, what it even was or why it was successful. And it was obviously a pretty awful experience uh, from a consumer standpoint. You couldn't listen in serial order. Uh, it had ads in between of it when you probably wanted it in the beginning um, and and a better kind of mid-roll experience than just an hour worth of content. There was no way of scrubbing. There was no way of... of uh, you know, uh, changing the order of it, et cetera. So lots of things from a user experience point of view was just subpar, but yet consumers were engaging. And that's, that's typically a very strong telltale sign. When people are hacking your system to do other things than you expect it to do with it, to lean in and invest in that journey. So we saw that. We, we said, well, what if we try to make that experience good instead of being the subpar experience. And we did that. Uh, we started getting a uh, great response from our users um, and then started making more of our own content, started seeing great response with that too. Um, acquired studios started seeing great response with that too. And it's just been accelerating ever since. If, if you had to look out five years and 10 years from now, what percent of listening on Spotify do you think is music? I still think it will be the vast majority of uh, just overall consumption on the platform, just like it is on radio. I think radio is a pretty good model for us to to um, look at. So I think in radio, it's probably 90-10 um, music versus um, other forms of content. So we talk about it being, you know, call it 80-20-70-30 in favor of music, probably long term. So music is still very much in our DNA. It's still very much the focus of the company. Um, but uh, for some audiences, what may pull you uh, to Spotify in the first place or get you to re-engage with Spotify may be some of these daily uh, interactions of hosts and other people that you care about or topics that you care about that just broaden the perspective. When you think about discovery, uh, there's been a long evolution um, in the time that I've known you. I remember when I used to have to go to Jason Hershorn or, or Courtney Holt's playlist where I think Courtney would post like a monthly playlist that I would go listen to to figure out what I should be listening to. And it was sort of all built around your Facebook friends. Um, I know you were, you know, you've been close to Facebook and Mark for a long time. And it was sort of built around kind of social playlist sharing. Um, and, you know, it seems like you've really pivoted over the last five or six years to where it's now about curating playlists. I don't want to say just like a DJ would, would curate radio, but it's certainly more along those lines of kind of curation. What drove that change and how personalized are you getting? You know, like when I'm looking behind you and I see Rap Caviar, if, if you and I both go on to Rap Caviar, how different are our Rap Caviars now? And just how did we get into this evolution from listening to other people's playlists to now it's all about kind of AI um, machine learning playlists. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's different evolutions just in, in the matter of maturity of technology. Um, so uh, we've always been a very tech heavy company and investing in a lot of product and technology. Um, so I think early on, if you, even if you look at social networks of kind, it starts off where um, the social filter ended up being the best proxy that you can, could get from a good user experience. Um, but then as uh, we got much better at machine learning and algorithms, you could see the user experience improving greatly with that. My, my favorite uh, example in point is look at Twitter as an experience. They hardly employed uh, machine learning at all for, for ranking the content that you were seeing on the service. Um, and that was hurting their user growth. And in the end, they switched to that because it just ended up being a much better uh, way of doing it. So uh, I think, um, you know, this is a trend that we started seeing um, many years ago. I mean, we realized that we needed to own discovery. It was one of those final tentacles for if we could provide one or two magical um, recommendations for you every single month, that would probably be highly correlated to uh, the lifetime value that you would have 
and how much satisfaction you would have with our service and whether you would recommend our service to other people too. So we started investing in that. What, what would that look, look like? What would the moments of delight be? Um, and how would we even think about that? How would we characterize that? How would we measure that? And um, that's been a long, long, long journey uh, that we've been on and frankly still are investing in probably for many years to come. You just struck um, a deal with with Warner Music. It it feels like it took a long time. You still have two other labels that are hanging in the balance. Why do these deals take so long to get done? Well, uh, that's the question I keep asking myself every single time, uh, and I keep asking our label partners as well once they're done. And. Uh, uh, I, I wish I'd known the answer to that. The the joking answer I say internally is I started having hair uh, when I started this business and obviously now I don't have any hair and that's uh, because of these discussions with our label partners. Uh, no, uh, all, all jokes aside, um, the, this is just, it's complicated deals. It's about the future of the industry. Um, there's a lot of things that are getting resolved that needs to get resolved. Um, I usually say I'm I'm a pretty good uh, predictor of whether we will get it done and roughly what the terms will be, but I'm a pretty horrible predictor at saying when it will get done, and I still haven't gotten better at that over the past few years. But I feel I feel very confident that we'll get it done. That's not going to be the problem. It's just a question of when. It just always surprises me how much you know, kind of the the what the t- what the issue is like i remember a few years ago it was we're going to kill spotify free like i mean i remember label mm-hmm. heads telling me there is no chance there's going to be a free part of the industry we've got to kill it daniel's wrong he's destroying the music industry free is dead mark my word now i have the same label people saying you know i really wish apple would launch an ad supported product we really could use that funnel to help apple grow faster mm. I-, I don't understand it's almost like what they think is the problem becomes not the problem in the next con- it's just like the issue keeps changing i guess is is what i just don't understand why that keeps happening yeah i mean uh but i do think the issue is uh different uh consistently as the industry matures i mean 10 years ago i was talking about ownership versus access as we talked about uh then it became about promotion um you know playlist versus billboard it's is that a big thing um, and now it's about, um, you know, playlist manipulation. Uh, you know, Spotify's at the size right now where uh, it's such a massive platform that you're having people trying to influence uh, how it's going. They're trying to game search results, all of these different things. Those are massive things. Trust and safety uh, being, you know, part of that, that we're investing in just making it safe and a good platform to use. Uh, so, it, 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 it's, I guess, evolutions in every platform's maturity. Um, and, and so the, the types of issues keep changing as, as you're getting bigger and, and starting to see more uh, different use cases happening on the platform, good and bad, by the way. How important is, our two, is the two-sided marketplace to these label negotiations? And if you take a step back, you're doing, what, $30 million in revenue from the two-sided marketplace, your data is very valuable. Why is it only $30 million? How does that become a significantly higher number? It's really, um, the answer to that is really about adoption. Uh, We need to get the music industry to adopt these things and start realizing these things. And as we started out, it's a journey about educating them about what it is and how it'll be used, listening to their feedback on it, getting them to trial it, getting them to experiment on it, and then from there on growing um, the, the, the base. We've taken an approach of trying to be just overall, many platforms build from the bottom up uh, because they don't experience the people at the top will, will actually um, you know, see the benefits of the offering. We're taking a slightly different approach where we're, we're building almost enterprise first and then going to small and me- medium-sized businesses. Give and us so, an example. Can you give us an example of something that's worked really well that you you know that you've used to showcase to the labels or to artists themselves that this really has power? Well, a great example uh, of that is the um, new um, ad format uh, that we launched uh, just a few months ago, uh, where you're seeing response rates of over thirty percent. 
Uh, it's four times as high as any other click-through rates that the music industry is using. Uh, and it's driving a lot more saves uh, than any other um, format that's currently on on uh, uh, the uh, web. So we're seeing that. And, and you know, the proof point this quarter was the weekend. Uh, they used it. Um, you know, it's obviously a great record, not taking anything away from that, but used it and it's been number one and it's been staying number one for a very long time. I think that just proves uh, the point that, you know, this great record combined with great marketing um, is what resonates to people. And we're just trying to build those tools to make it more efficient. You're going back to the hitting a billion and, you know, consumer adoption curves and all that stuff. What, when you're at a billion, what do you think the competition is going to look like at that point in terms of the split and share? Uh, do you mean like how large we will be? Yes. Yeah, so, Relative to the number two or number three. And like, how do you think the market will segment out by the time you hit a billion, billion five or whatever the, the total user number is going to be? I think it's hard to predict, um, but I, I, I would suspect, look, if you've looked at the growth trend um, really the past few years, although we've had new entrants and with sizable platforms, by the way, uh, putting pretty much all of their muscle behind this, we've still been faring pretty well uh, when it comes sure. to our growth. Um, and we're like 2x uh, our nearest competitor now. But more importantly to me is like we have about three times the engagement uh, that those competitors are seeing. So if, if we can keep that trend being the same, um, I would like to think uh, that we can keep that uh, growth rate um, stable in, in what I was talking about, this multi-year 25% growth uh, over time. Um, and we should be probably to that extent you be maintaining that type size. of lead. Yeah. When you so when you're like two X, I think you're around what 130 now. So you think that mm -hmm. Apple, which basically stopped reporting that number in June of last year, hasn't really moved it up more um, from the 60 million that they reported in June of of 2019. Well, I, I, I don't know what their numbers are. Obviously, I'll speculate as much as anyone else uh, have. But uh, from what we have been seeing with our limited data points, um, uh, we have been keeping our growth rate um, and uh, we're seeing most of our competitors have slowed down slightly. This is obviously pre-COVID. Um, so we've actually been gaining ground um, Opposed to actually are they the clear that. number two, or is there anyone else out there that you think will emerge and, and pop up? Well, it really depends on what your definition is of um, you know the market. Uh, again, now we're measuring paid subscription as the market, which is what the music industry focuses on. I like to focus a lot more on um, overall users in the marketplace because I think that's more correlated with long-term potential uh, of the revenue side, and there you could easily argue that we are actually number two and not number one and YouTube being the most dominant platform um, there as well. So that's how we look at the market, by the way, it's like we try to look at it from an overall growth perspective because it, it, it gets very hard. Like, you know, take a very concrete example. Um, you have uh, something like Amazon, uh, by the way, that are offering their uh, memberships as free for the consumer because it's bundled with another service. Is that counted as a subscription or is it not a subscription? Um, you know, the way it's currently being reported, it's, it's a subscription because it's being paid for in some shape or form. Well, ad supported services are being paid for in some shape or form as well. So where do we draw the line? Um, I think we, we just now have have one lens of what the industry is. Our lens is obviously that everyone who participated in a legal environment um, is a service um, there in which that's competing for usage. So just one last one on Apple. I mean, if you were running this, um, that portion of their business, you've got these billion iPhone users out there that, I mean, let's say they're 60, 70, whatever the network, like what would you do differently to try and take advantage of that base? The install base of users. Well, I'm I'm not sure I want to give them any advice on what to do. Um, no, I mean, all all joke aside, I I think that they have uh, leveraged that install base uh, pretty aggressively. I mean, if you if you think about it, um, I, I bought a new iPhone just a few months ago. Pretty much in my setup process, I got the question of trying out Apple Music. 
um, straight up. Um, whenever I'm using connecting it through my car, it, Apple Music pops up and it asks me to uh, try it out um, as, a, as, as a trial. I'm getting emails, something that was unthinkable of for, for Apple, pretty much on a bi-monthly basis, asking me to try it out uh, as well. And so uh, but I yet think- Your growth is like this and theirs is kind of going logarithmic. Yeah, and 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 so you know you, you can look at it in two ways. You could either say, "Look, it's very impressive to have gotten to, you know, fifty to seventy million subs, whatever their their numbers are, um, in such a short period of time," and it truly is. But then, if you look at it from the ecosystem of billions of devices and all the credit cards that they have, um, it's it's also a very small part of that ecosystem. I still remember when they said 10% of their 800 million users in year one, pre-launch. And I remember the two of us literally debating, could they get to 10% in year one? And I think it's four and a half years later. And unless unless they just haven't announced it, they're actually not at that 10%. Obviously, the base has grown to well above 800. But it is amazing how they're well behind what the original year one forecast was. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't comment on on what the year, year, yearly forecasts were. Uh, I, I I I will say though this this is probably the most I've actually talked about our competition even internally in years, um, and and I do want to point that out because we don't really think too much about it. Uh, we think more about the sort of broader perspectives and you know we talked about this before too about like you know is it going to be ad supported is it going to be subscription and what's the mix going to be we don't know uh what we feel pretty confident about is both will play a pretty big role and it's about for us to try to get people in the ecosystem and it tends to self-correct itself pretty quickly uh, that's what we're focusing on, and we're clearly focusing on what we're seeing our consumers are telling us what's wrong with our current experience and and what they would like for us to see um, us do more of. Um, and so that's that's the lens that we're thinking about this and a lot less um, in of just what competition is doing. So I guess maybe we'll take one. There's there's a bunch of questions that are have come in from the audience. And as a reminder, there's a little Q&A button there. And if you want to ask a question, just type it out. Um, this is a good one. It's, it's um, for, mar- for the marketplace product, what is the economic incentive of the label to spend a lot of marketing dollars behind discovery on spot? The artist benefits from downstream concert and other revenue, but can the labels make a good ROI on just incremental spot streams for spending on promotion there? So how, how do you pitch the ROI um, to the labels? Well, um, well the ROI, um, the, the way I would pitch that is it's actually quite simple. So today um, labels are spending uh, billions of dollars promoting music uh, in various um, channels today. It's TV ads, uh, billboards, um, Facebook ads, everything you can imagine. And the vast majority of those ads are now being spent directed towards streaming, meaning they're pointing people to Spotify and Apple Music and all the other people in the ecosystem. Uh, Because of that being the downstream, um, you know, revenue that they're, participating in and that they're driving most of their income from. We saw IFPI numbers coming out today that said that streaming is not only the number one revenue source uh, for the music industry, but it's now over half of all of the revenues uh, from uh, the music uh, industry. So people are pointing it to streaming. So the simple math is, um, if if you're already spending all this dollars trying to drive traffic towards streaming, if you would capture them even further downstream, wouldn't that be a, a more compelling thing to do? Because likely the efficiency would be higher if you're doing it next to what people are already doing instead of reminding them earlier in the funnel that maybe they want to go check something out in a later stage. And that's pretty much what we're seeing as well with the format in, in themselves is um, as, as uh 
we are have experimented with these as we've gotten customers to use these. It's just way better efficiency than pretty much any other um, dollars that they're spending on marketing in other formats. And that's why we're excited about it. And that's why we think the music industry uh, will really adopt this in a big way um, and go deep into it. You and, talked about pricing. And when I think about pricing, you know, the Spotify base plan of nine ninety nine has sort of been adopted by everybody else in the music industry. The family plan price of fourteen ninety nine is pretty standard. You've played around with you know raising price. I think in Norway you raised price and didn't get a lot of pushback, but you really haven't pushed price. And and I you know realize that one hundred and thirty out of a billion is still um, relatively early days, assuming the billion is right. Um, but you know, to me, I guess I just look at it and I go. At fourteen ninety nine, with four to five people using a Spotify subscription in a family, the chances of churn are, are basically zero. Whether it was fourteen ninety nine or sixteen ninety nine, and maybe at twenty or more, it, maybe you get to a problematic place. But when you have the single person at nine ninety nine, there seems to be a, a lot of kind of headroom in in the fourteen ninety nine. Is it is it just too early to play with price? Uh, we, we think so. Yes. We, we think it's still a, a really about growth, but we agree with your long-term assessment. We absolutely think uh, the value to price ratio uh, that we have or our va- value per hour that you're deriving from Spotify is just insanely good for consumers. Uh, but we're leveraging that right now to drive higher uh, retention. And obviously that higher retention also means more people are recommending other people and then pulling them into the ecosystem and net net it's that overall growth that we're trying to optimize the music industry for because that's uh, you know good for the long term health not only for us but really for the entire uh, music industry uh, as well so it, it's really about focus and specifically for us uh, just a fine point of this what we're really trying to do is the LTV to SAC ratio that we're trying to optimize so what a lot of people don't really understand is that uh, what we consider a successful experiment is uh, increasing our lifetime value. And you can increase your lifetime value by um, increasing uh, overall consumption on your platform. You can, of course, increase um, your LTV by theoretically a lower price and having um, uh, you know, people retention go up. And you can theoretically increase your LTV by raising price. Uh, and if no one churns, then all of those are fine. Uh, and it's really that balance. But right now we're still much, much more in the face of uh, what we've seen with family plans is increased in retention as people are getting used to the concept of streaming, getting there. Uh, and I would like to say, even point out, if you look at something like Netflix, it, it, it took many years for them to pursue that strategy because I really think you should look at them, not just in the, the variant of streaming, but really through the DVD rental business as well, uh, for people to be comfortable and build that trust until they were able um, to raise prices um, and go towards uh, that journey too. So I absolutely think the po- uh, possibility is there, but uh, focus now is growth, growth, growth. Where do carriers fit into the pricing part of the equation? I mean, you look in the US, you've got T-Mobile paying for Netflix and Verizon um, with Disney Plus, but also in Latin America, in Mexico, they were very successful in zero rating social media apps that really really drove subgrowth. So when you, again, you think about this growth trajectory, how big of a role is that going to play? Carriers has been uh, very important for us, especially in the early days uh, of Spotify. Um, It's still important for us today. Uh, We have about 30 of them across the world. It varies the type of partnership, but all of the things you mentioned, zero rating data in the countries where we can, we will do that. Uh, there are um, plans where you can pick a streaming service where we're on next to Netflix and the consumers can pick Netflix or Spotify or uh, perhaps a bunch of others uh, that you can have as well. And some that are even hard bundled in with Spotify too. Um, for us, it's, it's really all about getting to that point where we're getting people on to the ecosystem because when we're getting them into the ecosystem, we can start recommending them great content. We will get them uh, there. They start getting these user delight moments. When they're getting the user delights, uh, they will then stay with us for a very long but time. Are they necessary for, to hit that billion or is it just gonna be one of many components? 
Uh, I think for some markets, uh, they will be. Uh, okay. So a great example in point will be the Philippines. Uh, yep. Philippines data is super expensive. Um, so it's been a big uh, problem there. So uh, we have a partnership with Globe, which is one yep. of the large uh, telcos there. That's been absolutely instrumental in getting us to the place where we are today in the Philippines. Got it. But, but you can see, obviously, as Geo um, has done, um, you know, in, in India, um, a lot of people are now playing the data game. So um, where data is expensive, um, carrier partnership matters a lot more. You spend a lot of money on acquisitions, um, specifically in podcasting. The Ringer, um, in particular, was, was quite expensive. Um, why was that a critical asset for you to have? And how do you weigh that versus going out and getting some kind of other exclusive content, whether it's, I don't know, signing Howard Stern for two, for two years at a crazy price or bidding on NFL rights to broadcast those, uh, which are currently unserious? Un- yeah, so, so uh, first and foremost, sports matter greatly uh, for our audience and in particular for audio. Um, and what we found time and time again was just the ringer were uh, in a league of its own and just how they were doing. And most people may associate the ringer all with Bill Simmons, but what we saw was a franchise where Bill had been mentoring and supporting and growing a network of lots of successful shows, frankly. Um, so it was about both about pop culture and sports. Um, and, um, and um, it, it, we just looked at the opportunity, frankly, and, and looked at the potential of where we are today, but, but also where we think the industry will be going. And I think you're going to find when you look at our, these acquisitions, the reality is they'll play out over the next few years. But if we're right about where this industry is going, um, even a, what is considered at large prices today will be considered as uh, very, very good deals in a few years' time. Because um, we're just so early uh, in this journey onto audio and the revenue potential that we look at this is it's it's going to be a very very big industry. Should your headline podcast content be exclusive? Why is it that I, I can listen to Bill Simmons on on any podcasting app and not only yours if you own if you own that content? Yeah, so so the the uh, it's definitely so that we're pursuing exclusivity as the key strategy for why we want to own the content uh, that we have on the platform. Now that said, we do have a lot of uh, usage uh, on other platforms too, and so we have been experimenting a lot with how do we take that audience that we have on other platforms and what is the best way to drive that audience uh, onto our own. Uh, by obviously retaining the fact that we have successful content and want to make that. And so for some, that could be windowing. For some, those are all all outright exclusivities, and we may even pivot the strategy as it comes. We're early days when it comes to experimenting on that. Uh, but what I would say is just uh, the the end goal is absolutely exclusivity because we want to differentiate Spotify uh, vis-a-vis all the other platforms that are out there and so, um, you know, with The Ringer, for instance, we've already launched, um, I believe, one exclusive show already coming out of that. And there will be more and more coming out of that and um, Gimlet and Parcast as well. We have a lot of questions about concert business and video. And you've had a, you know, I'm going to be honest, you've had a rough road with video historically. Uh, you know, it is it has morphed and changed multiple times. But, you know, just recently you launched a tipping function, sort of a way to fundraise for artists. I guess as you think, I mean, you turn on Instagram and artists are going live, uh, you know, turn on Facebook, artists are going live. Do, is, does Spotify sort of have an opportunity to be kind of a solution for the concert business from a monetization standpoint, both in live streaming the video to fans, since you know who the fans are, but also a way to uh, charge for it or generate revenue for the concert industry through what you just launched, which isn't sort of pay for concerts, but theoretically could be, I guess, morph into that. How do you think about that overall? 
Well, I, I think again, the, the macro opportunity that we see are, is really one that's focused on uh, going um, from linear to on demand. That's the big trend, um, not from linear to another form of linear. And so uh, live will be a capability of that, uh, but we, we think overall it's still a relatively small um, part of the overall experience. Mostly consumers want to time shift the content to um, whenever it fits their schedule and whenever it fits their life. And, and uh, uh, so I, I think you should expect us to have the capability to doing live streaming at some point in time, but we think that there's so much room left in terms of discovery of all the content that's being on. I'll just mention one example. Like right now in terms of merchandising podcasts, it's a very different thing to merchandise a podcast versus merchandising a piece of music because in music, the time commitment is three minutes. So it's easy for you to jump right in and jump out to, for you to go in and start looking at a new podcast. That's a big time commitment. So we're investing a lot in merchandising that content. We just launched trailers as a way where, where we're now recommending trailers for new shows that you might be interested in doing as a way of merchandising content and getting you excited about all the great content that we have um, on the platform. We, we look at those things as, as um, the sort of center arc of our strategy. I don't know how big these uh, live, take COVID out of the equation. I don't know if um, live streaming video conferences, video um, concerts would be a big thing uh, on the internet. Clearly now we're living in COVID, but for how long will we? Um, is this a multi-year thing? Then probably we should pivot and do a lot more in live concerts. And then we can absolutely use the infrastructure you talked about um, and, and do so. And we're experimenting with it. I'll be, you know, we've done it right now with uh, some live shows, even on Instagrams, which we're pointing out that already have the infrastructure. Um, so we can even do it in partnership rather than doing it on our, our own. When you think about the app itself, I'm sure I've heard you kind of talk historically about the debate of do we have a separate podcast app and a sp separate audio app? And, you know, when you talk about things like live streaming, it all sort of like how much can one app do? And I, you know, I kind of think to myself, look at what Instagram's been able to achieve with one app without separating anything out. And so maybe this whole argument is silly, but you kind of as you look at the experience today, you know, the podcast or audio experience with music. Do you like where you're at? Does it need to get better? Like what, you know, do you think you have the world's best podcast listening app today or is it still a work in progress? And what do you need to do as you combine the two to make that a great experience for both products or bo both forms of content? Yeah, we, uh, we absolutely think uh, we have a lot of work left to do. Um, we're uh, quickly catching up uh, with, uh, you know, all the features you would expect a best in class podcast player to have. But I think our secret sauce, in all honesty, as we've known, even with music is when we can provide uh, amazing discovery. Um, because that's the big thing that we can do. Uh, but what we've been working on is uh, building all the features that you would expect into the app, like uh, time shifting, like uh, sleep mode, all of those different things into the podcasting experience. Uh, we brought Ubiquity into the play so that you can play podcasts now on a range of different hardware, all of the hardware that Spotify Connect is on. So 300 different devices. We made it easy for you to stream podcasts, offline the podcasts you care about, sorting them into your library, putting them in playlists and sharing them with friends, which is a new innovation. Uh, we made the trailers that I talked about. Um, so we're making great progress, but I still think, um, you know, at least from my own personal experience, I'm still not seeing the level of recommendations for amazing podcasts um, yet uh, that uh, I think we're going to see in the next few years. And that's going to be a massive opportunity for us. Ter uh, sorry, terrestrial radio seems a bit vulnerable. I mean, I think Rich mentioned they have, what, 15 billion in, in ad revenue right now. Um, you know, with if consumer confidence is getting hit, um, you know, people don't necessarily want to pay as much on subscriptions. What's the, why haven't you attacked that market more and more? And what, what's the plans to do so going forward? 
Well, I think you're entirely right. I mean, the the 20 year trend that we've seen is linears moving to on demand, and that's been threshold radio moving to on demand. Um, and uh, my guess is that what we're going to see post COVID is that pretty much all of those trends that we already saw going into this have just accelerated. And so uh, more and more consumers are now moving from from radio to these experiences. And, you know, from us, it's about like when you, for the first time as a consumer, instead of putting on your radio, when you realize that you can listen to whatever content you want on your terms, that's a pretty powerful thing. I can skip the thing that I don't like um, and immediately listen to something else. And I can now listen to um, lots of different content, sports, news, um, educational content, music, uh, everything you can imagine under the sun tailored to me and my likes. Um, that is the ultimate thing I, I believe that's going to cause people to move from threshold radio to um, audio on, on demand. What are you hearing from artists given no touring? How are, I, obviously the Taylor Swifts of the world <laughs> have plenty of money, but how are the majority of artists making ends meet and and how are are there ways you can you can help them out it's incredibly tough to be honest uh so the average artist um you know makes something like 80 percent of their income from touring um so obviously not being able to tour is a huge thing and then on top of that summers is when most artists are making most of their revenue um, so many of these artists are being impacted, but not only that, like the whole ecosystem around this, don't forget about all these concert workers, the roadies, the people who help out with security, the uh, people who sell merchandise, the hot dog sales people at, at the venues. This is a massive business when you factor all of those in and, and they're very, very much suffering at this point. And so what we're doing is really two things. So one is we created our own COVID-19 relief fund where we we're contributing $10 million and we're matching donations up to that amount. Uh, in the US, we're partnering with Music Cares uh, that are um, is an organization that's been around for a very long time supporting um, musicians, uh, artists, uh, and even people around the music industry uh, in a big way. The second thing we did was we launched the ability, like Rich talked about earlier, uh, to allow artists to um, choose their their own thing uh, that they care about. And that could be supporting the Music Cares um, organization, but it could also be um, Square Cash App where you can solicit uh, user payments that will match the donations to that as well. Um, and so um, we, we were really just overwhelmed with that result because we saw over 50,000 artists that did that in the first few days, um, just adding those donate buttons on there. And a bunch of them are, are donating that to their band members or, um, you know, roadies, et cetera, that go on tour with them too. So this, that will, I think will help, but, you know, again, this is a catastrophe for the music industry for sure. And Daniel, how many engineers do you have at Spotify? Just ballpark. Uh, ballpark uh, north of 2,000. And how many employees total? I should know that, but I don't off the top of my head. Close to 6,000. Okay, so a third of the company you would qualify as engineers. Yes. You know, that makes it by definition very different than most media companies in the world who are not, you know, um, there is no way most of the companies I cover, even though they're multiple times the size, have 2,000 engineers. When you think about kind of how you put those resources to work, um, you know, we've talked about sort of how you understand what to recommend to a, cons to, to a new user. And I think you were trying to get it down from 70 songs to something far less than that. But like, maybe give us examples of sort of some of the iterations and the ways you leverage that engineering talent to make a difference, small things, but that actually are far more important than, than a lot of us on the outside, you know, investors or, or you know, analysts would realize. Sure. Yeah, so, so I think you're right. Uh, at this point, it's about compounding. Um, th things are compounding at a pretty great return. And oftentimes it takes even a few months before we realize 
what something may be when you're compounding. It's, you know, 1% improvements, but over three years later, and you have 100 of those experiments adds up and it becomes a pretty big thing. And so uh, a lot of the things that we're doing is just removing friction uh, between the job to be done that the consumer hires us to do. So a few examples of that that are probably somewhat unintuitive. Um, So one example would be there's a lot of our consumers that um, lose their password uh, and don't remember what their passwords are. And Brandon. Brandon may be one of them. And even though we've made it easy for you to log in with uh, Facebook or Google or now Apple ID um, as well, um, so you can easily get back to your playlist. One of the big things we ended up doing as well is uh, just if you're using the same device, uh, you have an ability for, for from now that you can essentially log in again um, with that device ID. So it's connected to your iOS device in a very simple way. And so you download Spotify again if you accidentally removed it or reinstall it on the same device. And uh, you automatically just get logged in again. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that's a pretty magical experience once you encounter it, but most people obviously don't. Uh, but it's uh, one of those things that is just great um, at doing that. Uh, because of that, um, you know, one of the machine learning things that we ended up doing was uh, we've also been... Um, clustering what we call quick links, which is the at the very top of your home screen now, there's a few recommendations of things that, that you usually want to listen to. And uh, we keep that number to five. So it's very important that we get that number right. Uh, but we've seen the engagement on the homepage go up dramatically because of something as simple as that. Just making sure we truly figure out what it is you want and it adapts based on time of day and it uh, adapts based on uh, the proximity of where you are. Um, So there's lots and lots of those types of small innovations uh, that compounds into, um, you know, the experience that we have today. And, And that's a big part of what we're investing into. There's a lot of good questions here <laughs> that I wish we could get to um, in our panel, but two of them that really stood out to me was talking about local news and sports. That's a pretty critical item that holds that are sticky for radio. Any plans to, to get an M&A there? And then also on, on tipping would be great to get some, some indication of, of whether um, you've seen any early uh, heavy acts or heavy tipping that's going on and, how that might spur more content getting put up on uh, on your uh, platform. Yeah, so uh, local news and sports, absolutely a priority for us. Um, entirely right that that's going to be a big use case, uh, I think. Uh, to the extent where uh, we acquire something or even partner, um, I think it's the jury's kind of out. We're very happy with the ringer, of course, but um, we shouldn't also forget that we're, we've gone, just to put it in perspective, we were at a quarter of a million podcasts about a year ago when I announced the audio first strategy. We now have a one million. Um, it's a pretty staggering number. And a lot of that obviously is uh, mom and pop creating their own podcast, but also uh, a decent amount of radio stations that are now putting their content on Spotify too. Uh, so the need is already being filled by people and what I'm very excited about is Anchor uh, that we acquired uh, a year ago is now serving over half of all new uh, podcasts being created are down on that platform too. And that means we can do the innovation that I talked about with trailers, et cetera, end to end because we can uh, we have the creator experience and we have the consumer experience uh, now under one company. We'd love to get yeah. to more questions from the audience. Um, uh, actually, we should get to the news and sports. The, the news and sports question too. We did that. No, yeah. I mean so. So, um, sorry, I'm total brain fried. Um, <laughs> tipping. <laughs> the tipping. tipping Monday. Right? Tipping. A- any early tipping. indication on any any good early indication on tipping? I'm tipping. Yeah, um, <laughs> we've I, all I had think one it's, now. It's, one of these things, Rich. It's good. <laughs> uh, um, God. I, I think the uh, the early response, as I mentioned, has just been fantastic in terms yeah, of okay. just artist response. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have any good reliable data on how well used it's been at this point. We've only been live, I think, for, call it about 10 days. Yep. So I think it's too early to draw any conclusion. But we're uh, very encouraged by just how many okay. artists are participating. Great. Thank so you. just... 
just to wrap up, and I apologize to the audience for not getting to more of everyone's questions. We'll try to do better. It's just there's so many. But, you know, I guess, Daniel, just lastly, um, what do you define as success and who do you executive wise? I mean, I think so many people look to you and are impressed by what you've built. I certainly do. But who do you admire executive wise? Um, so success for us is, um, you know, providing these user delights that I talked about. Uh, if we can be a um, player um, where we provide delights for people, where they rediscover something that they've forgotten, where they find more enjoyment in life, where they reconnect uh, with someone or something or educate them uh, about something, um, I think we win and we will have a very satisfied user uh, that um, will retain for a long time. And, and we talk about it soundtracking every moment of someone's life. Um, that's what we're ultimately trying to do um, as a company. And then who I admire, uh, there's a lot of people that I admire for um, a lot of different reasons. Um, from an executive standpoint, uh, it's hard not to be admiring Bill Gates at this point with just the philanthropic effort that he's doing. I mean, he will likely, when we all look at this, it's so hard to build a legacy where people a hundred years from now may know who you were and what you did. But I think it's very well possible that Bill Gates uh, may have built that. And it may even be as weird as it will sound that he may not uh, be remembered at all for Microsoft, but actually for all of his philanthropic efforts, which is pretty remarkable. And I can't ask you to pick an artist because that would just be too mean for some new music that you're listening to. That's just too close to home. So give us, during quarantine, given that we're all stuck at home, although I realize a little less stuck in, in Sweden than maybe in other places, right. like, what are you watching? What have you been, what, have you been, what has Daniel Ek been binging? Uh, well, I, I just saw the new uh, season of uh, the first episode of Billions um, yesterday. So that's one of my favorite shows. What do you think? Very, I, no I, spoiler. I it good. I I've not good. watched it yet. Uh, I, 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 you know, it's a soft opening. Let, let's, yeah. uh, so I, I agree with you there, but I, I, I believe that it, it, they were just warming us up. Uh, okay. I just love the show. Uh, I love and, it too, but that first, that episode last night was not great. I didn't think. No, I mean, I mean, it felt like it was a warm up for the next few, uh, episodes, but I, I love the show. So I, I've been looking at that, um, other than that, I I I actually have been reading a lot of books. Uh, I haven't watched that much television. I know it sounds crazy, um, but I've I've just been reading a ton of books instead. Um, thank you for having us, or thank you for joining us. I should say, <laughs> um, it's you know it's been a long time dream of mine to interview you, uh, and this was a great format to do it, and gives us some great insight to this company that you've built over thirteen years. It's hard to believe that the same guy that tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, are you the guy who put a cell on Warner Music in, in 2007, <laughs> uh, now runs a company the size of Spotify with 130 million paying subscribers when a lot of people never thought you'd even have a million paying subscribers and the years rooted for you to fail. And, and now I think everyone in the music industry that I talk to is rooting for you to succeed. And their biggest fear now is that you become too successful relative to your peers, uh, not whether you are going to succeed anymore. And so it's, it's pretty amazing to watch. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I had a great time. Uh, so look forward to watching more interviews with you guys. Thanks a lot, right. Daniel. Take care. Bye.